0: Because if it's all just, why am I doing this, why am I doing this, why am I doing this, and not a single pinch of it has to do with bringing you some kind of cup being filled or any fulfillment, then you haven't found your why, and it's probably because it's not the right thing.
1: Welcome to Hyper a show for the curious mind who love embracing changes rather than avoiding it. My name is Bita Luca. I'm a BAFTA-winning serial entrepreneur, and each week I dive into the most intriguing aha moments and new turns of the lives of my favorite authors, founders, and artists. Today, I'm super happy to chat with my favorite content creator and YouTuber, founder of multiple media companies, and author of two books. Her purpose is to help people go after the life they want. My guest today is Amy Landino. In this episode, you learn how defining what you want and why you want it makes you braver and in charge of your life and career changes. Also, the importance of accomplishing things for yourself, not for the likes, not for the praises of other people. And how to get out of a rut by doing something that makes you highly uncomfortable. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I love that. Get ready to listen to great pearls of wisdom and practical tips by the awesome Amy Landino. So I'm going to start the conversation by referring to an incredible story that you shared on your latest book, Good Morning, Good Life, uh, which is the story of you running a half marathon. And you said, for once, I had a goal in my life, something uncomfortable to look forward to. Why was that so uncomfortable?
0: Because I think what was happening was I was in a rut in a lot of ways in my life. I had um, I'd gone to school and I knew it wasn't feeling like it was for me. So I was thinking, well, I better just make sure that what I'm focused on is for me. And so I got a job and then I got a, a good job, a really good job considering the market at that time, 2008, was really kind of faltering. But I was in school and working. I was doing all of the right things. Like this is what mom said to do. This is what the family says to do. This is what society tells you to do. Go to school, learn this thing, get the job. And then I was reeling really, was, I was going to school. I was learning the thing. I also got the job and no one else that was graduating was getting a job, a job, not even the job, a job. And so I was looking at all of that, and I was also realizing that I was falling out of love with what I was doing after a period of time of working in this environment. It was in uh, policy and fundraising at a law firm. And as much as I really enjoyed it, I just knew it wasn't the thing. But there, I couldn't really point to anything else. I was doing a little bit of discovery in the YouTube world. I just thought it was a hobby. Like at this point in time, you're talking about an early point in time for the internet. You're not thinking this is going to be a career someday and brands are going to pay big bucks because you put yourself on camera. Like you're not thinking that at that point, but I still enjoyed it. I'm doing all of this. I'm in a relationship with a guy that's not a hundred percent there. Like you could just tell that he was always looking for, for the right opportunities all the time it could have just been business related it could have been just to go to a party and you know what i never knew if that next big opportunity was the right woman for him and it wouldn't be me so everything would was always i did this i'm i'm with a good dude like it's fine i have this nice job everything just felt like it was okay it didn't feel like it was with purpose and it all felt very accidental and there wasn't a lot of challenge with it. Now, I actually think my boss at the law firm was challenging in a good way. Like I, I learned a lot from him and I can point back to so many things where I go, he was really ahead of the curve on this email marketing thing. And it was just kind of amazing to see, but the people skills I learned in that situation was the most value. Other than that, I wasn't being challenged. And one time in the law firm, I heard someone saying they were going to run a half marathon. And I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, whoa. I thought runners did half marathons. It never would have computed to me that a normal person would run in a race. I don't know why. It just never, never gave it thought. So it challenged me to think, like, oh, I'm not a runner, but like she's not a runner. I wonder if I could accomplish a half marathon. And that's ultimately how I ended up doing a little bit of homework. And I talk about it in the book where I was like, all right, I guess I'm gonna do this. And the other thing is I'm very good at following rules. So when it was like, here's your training schedule, it was like, oh, cool. Like three miles on the first day, I might only walk it, but three miles sounds more feasible than 13 at some point in time. So anyway, it was feeling very underchallenged and therefore not having a clear goal. The only goal that I'd had up to that point was to graduate college. And I didn't because I got the job that no one else could get that was finishing college. And I was like, well, I better stay put because if I leave here and go back to finish my degree, it doesn't look like that's equating to very much right now. So that's a goal that's completely destroyed, even though it seems okay because I've got a job, I've got a 401k. I needed something to reach for and I didn't have it. And that's why the half marathon became a really pivotal point in my life because it was something I never thought I could do ever I never even entertained the idea. I got the idea from somebody I've never would have imagined would have run and then I finished. And then when I finished, there wasn't anybody there at the finish line. It was it was just a really big misunderstanding. Like I was with a good dude. He wouldn't have just left me hanging at the finish line. I tell the story in the book but it was so, it was just another piece of this puzzle that I needed the goal. I needed to reach for the goal. I needed to accomplish the goal. I needed to feel what that was like. And then I needed to feel what it was like to be alone when I got there. Because many of us are when we do. We can pull in our close ones, our loved ones, our friends, our family, our audiences and say, Guess what I just did? We can say that. But it's really got to be just for us. It can't be for the touting. It can't be for the medals. It can't be for the social media post likes. It has to be for us. If you can't have that moment internally, it will not matter on an external level. So That's why I talk about that run because I did go for a run today, very ironically. It's not something I enjoy, but it's still something that I look back on very fondly and I say, like, I accomplished something. That was that season of life. I proved to myself I could accomplish something and then I could do it just for me. And that's okay. I love that because you actually built a
1: new pathway in your brain, right? A new muscle was being an exercised, and you're like, I can do something that it's totally out there that would never imagine I would be able to. And I think that's so beautiful. And and even though when I was reading your book, I, I was heartbroken when there was no one at the finish line. I was, oh no. <laughs> but but I, I get your point. It's like you, you need to do it for yourself. And it's almost like another good learning that there was no one there and all the victory you could internalize, right?
0: Yeah. I'm just going to give away the story too, because the Silver lining is, it's a whole nother lesson. The reason there was no one at the finish line is because I undervalued my pace. I said I was going to take a very, very long time. And I didn't give credit to the fact that I had trained and that there is a really beautiful um. The environment of people around you and how you just go because you have this big group of people, like minded people who are reaching for the same goal, you move a little faster than you think. So that was sort of another lesson there was, oh, maybe I should have given myself a little more credit. I, uh, my, a pep in my step would have been there on game day, you know? So it was you know, hard, but. A really, really important lesson. I think a lot of, especially these days now that social media is so rampantly important to so many people and we only have so many metrics we focus on and they're usually not the most important ones that we should be focused on.
1: Yeah. That's a very, very well said. Very well said. You say that you are, you are rule follower, right? But surely for you to have accomplished all those things in your life, Writing two books and becoming an entrepreneur, becoming a successful content creator with half a million followers and subscribers online nowadays. I know that we're not talking about you know subscribers, but you know you you, you have accomplished a lot of amazing
0: things in your life, right? Surely you had to break tons of rules. Yes, that's fair. That, that is fair. I, let me let me put it this way. I get that phrase from one of my digital mentors, which is Gretchen Rubin, and she wrote a book called The Happiness Project. hugely famous book, but another book called The Four Tendencies. And um, it's sort of just like a, a quiz and you kind of learn how you hold yourself accountable. The profile that I am is an upholder. But I think there was a period of time where I was a questioner. And when you're a questioner, according to Gretchen, you really make decisions based on how you what you've told yourself, basically, how you hold yourself accountable, what you've done in terms of research and understanding. And and that's what I tend to look at these days is usually when I make a decision, it's very like, this is what I'm doing. And it usually has something to do with not being able to unknow something. So even though now I feel I'm a bit more of an upholder and that when I say I'm going to write a book, I'm going to write a book, it's not just because I've decided it but also because I have a community that I want to be held accountable to them as well. So there's a feature of that there. But I think what happens is, oh, you make a little YouTube video and you're like, wow, that was fun. And then I can't unknow that I enjoy video editing. And then I I find out people aren't getting a job when they're getting out of college and I have a job. I can't unknow that. So I break the rules and I don't finish school. And then I find out that the thing that I'm really passionate about is becoming a skill that people are opening agencies, offering businesses. I can't unknow that. And I'm like, wow, I'm doing that. I'm learning that right now by having this silly little YouTube channel and telling people to go watch my video. I'm actually learning how to market a presence, no matter what that content is. So I think that's another little feature about me is that as much as I'm a rule follower, I'm excited to get the rules when I can't unknow something. I have to do it because I it won't leave my brain. And I'm like, okay, great. I'm doing that, but how do I do it? I think that's the balance there. At least that's where I'm at at this stage. I think I've, I've fluidity come in and out of a lot of those things up until this point, but I am still a rule follower. I'm going to look at the sign before I cross this, like the street. I'm not going to I'm not the type of person that's going to rebel, but when I know exactly how is characteristic to me to do something, I'm very excited to figure out like let's go. How do we do it?
1: Yeah. And this this self-awareness goes a long way because eventually, as you're saying, you, you create fluidity in your life and then you start grabbing all the opportunities because they're just being shown to you because you're going the path that it feels like it's the right thing for you, right? I love that. I think there's a lot of wisdom in there. So... Let's talk about aha moments. And we kind of started to talk a little bit about that anyway. So I had a few in my, in my lifetime. And sometimes I feel like I'm in the, in the film, The Matrix, that I take the red pill and suddenly everything looks very different. It's like, oh my God, I never saw the world like that, right? Completely different perspectives. What was your biggest aha moment? And was it painful for you to go through the changes after you made that realization?
0: I think it, it has a lot to do with what I was just saying. The half marathon was a really big aha moment. But another big one is um, probably more part of the story about, you know, who's at your finish line. And when you decide, when you can't unknow something and you make a decision for yourself, and you also can't unknow that you are the only one that lives your life, no matter how much the people who care about you care about you, that you have to make the decision ultimately. You have to be happy with what you're doing on a daily basis. Aha moments in the form of sort of in rule follower capacity, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave my job. I'm gonna start a business and I'm gonna do this thing all on my own. And here's how I'm going to do that. Informing the people around you that this is happening can be a little uncomfortable. And and so For me, it was very, I'm going to say the word questioner again from a profiling standpoint, questioner standpoint of like, I went to my boyfriend at the time and I said, I'm going to quit my job and I need to give up my apartment. And so just so you know, we've been together for three years, so I'm going to move in with you. But if that's a problem for you, no big, I'll move in with my parents, but then we're breaking up because this is very important to me. This is this is the path. I need to be set up for success as much as possible. I am not going to be a leech. I just think that if we're going to be in a relationship together and you're willing to support me in my ventures and I support you in yours, I need you to help me make this happen. And we should be at that point in this relationship anyway. If we're not, better for me to just leave anyway. Like That's a totally separate issue. I need to know that you're going to stand with me. And he did. And that was one of the biggest blessings in this journey. I wouldn't have been embarrassed to move on with my parents because I would be building a dream of my own. But at the same time, it was, that was exactly what I wanted. So it was very exciting. But it was still a really difficult, difficult conversation to have, especially when you're starting a business that no one's ever heard of. And so like one minute, people are telling you, you should, help. You should go teach old people at the home how to use Facebook. Well... Unfortunately, that's not really what the business is, but I can see why you think that because they need teachers and that's fine. But trying to articulate what you do, the aha moment was, wow, you need to come up with how you tell people how you do what you do, because I can't help you fix your printer, but I can help you with your small business leverage social media for word of mouth those are all just words to people. They're just features, they're just things. And so really early on I learned the benefit of teaching somebody the benefit of what you provide, which is why when I introduce myself I say my name is Amy, my purpose is to help you go after the life you want. We can get into the minutia and the details of that later, but until you understand that that's my purpose and my mission is within that, those features, those videos, the podcasts, the fill in the blanks, like it doesn't matter like Those things do not matter until you understand the benefit. And that's a very, very important marketing conversation to have, especially as a business owner. So that was a big aha moment that I had to learn early on is not only do I need to teach people who I hope will pay me for my services, but I need to teach the people around me so that even though they may not get it and they're going to jump on the bandwagon at some point, it's not time for that yet. And I need to do the work on my end to show them why I'm doing this and that I'm not just going rogue and acting crazy and saying, I'm not going to have a job. Like that's not, that's not what it was. I think it's a really big aha moment when you don't want to see confrontation in your life and you need to figure out how to navigate your way through it so that you can confidently do the things that you want to do in your life.
1: You you touched on uh, on your book about the why, right? And, and I love the very specific questions that you had because I've been a, a fan of the starting with why with Simon Sinek and et cetera, which is very applicable to organizations. But the way that you pose the questions in your book about Someone discovering your why, it made me think completely different about my whys. <laughs> and so I think that's very powerful because it's like you, like you're saying, sometimes defining a why requires certain bravery to change the expectations of people around you. But I think above all, it's about you know finding and nailing, Something that is so difficult to nail. And for everyone who's listening to us, who probably have, you know, multiple passions and multiple interests in their lives, and like myself, right? It's very difficult to pinpoint exactly what my why is. What is your advice to them? How do you know when you really nailed it?
0: I think it's hard to tell people how to figure it out. However, I do know that I've figured it out when I can wake up every day. And even if the thing in front of me I'm not looking forward to or I'm nervous about or I'm just questioning a little bit, the tactic, the thing, the project, the due date, the whatever that's in front of me, if it's giving me a little bit of anxiety, but I still can say I must do it not because of the world holding me accountable, but because it's in me to show up for this conversation. I think that's a big piece of it. You need to have a reason to get out of bed every day. We all do. And it sounds so arbitrary and it almost sounds like a conversation about depression. Things can get depressing when you don't know why you're doing something in general, much less something that fulfills you. And another piece of this is the imposter syndrome of being okay with being a little selfish. Not everything should be for everyone else. No one else lives in your shoes. No one else has to live your life. So being okay with having a path that not only helps other people, I'm sure something you do helps lots of other people or could help one other person, no matter what it is. But part of that mission needs to ring true to your heart. Because if it's all just, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And not a single pinch of it has to do with bringing you some kind of cup being filled or any fulfillment, then you haven't found your why. And it's probably because it's not the right thing. And I think a lot of people end up doing things that aren't the right thing for them because we're just trying to listen to our trusted advisors along the way. We're we're all just trying to live life I would never call myself a life coach because because we're all just learning how to live life. If I'm talking to you, you haven't figured it out either, you know? And so it's it really, really important, I think, to just be okay with that. It takes time to get there because if you have somebody that's really trying to hold you accountable all the time, or you have people who really put the pressure on to hold you accountable, it might get confusing. And that's why I think Good Morning, Good Life was an important book for me to write because I was worried that not enough people were having those conversations with themselves. We have to hear from other people all the time. Why can't we just listen to our own heart about, ah, turns out I'm not going to finish college. I'm just going to keep this job. And then it was, oh my gosh, I opted out of college to keep this job. And now I'm going to leave that for this. That's risk upon risk upon risk. Those are conversations you need to have with yourself because you have to be so all in on what the potential failures could be and the potential successes. No one else is going to be able to live that with you. Lots of people will have opinions about it, but you have to have that conversation with yourself.
1: There's a, there's a question that, that just occurred to me that is not even on my set of questions here, but do you think that People who are highly resilient are the ones who actually are better equipped to face the worst moments and struggles
0: when you're going to live in your why. I believe that a resilient person will have an easier time, but I believe being resilient just takes training. All I did to be able to run longer than a quarter of a mile to get to 13.2 or whatever 13.1 mile. I mean, was training. That's it. The majority of the time when I'm doing a Q&A with my group or I'm giving advice from stage speaking about video or anything is how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I how do I script it? How do I get comfortable? You can't until you're comfortable with the uncomfortable. And the only way to do that is to practice. So resiliency in my opinion I can be resilient in a lot of ways and not resilient in others because of the amount of practice that I have on something. So, yeah, I think if someone is in some ways I, I don't know it could also kind of come back and and not be great, right? If you're used to constantly getting beaten down by people and being told you can't do what you want to do or you're not good enough to do what you want to do or anything like that just constant negativity, you might be resilient and not break down every single time you're being given negative trajectory. I guess. But you would at least be more used to it than someone who's been set, told yes all the time. And those can have different repercussions as well. I think resilience is built. I think a lot of things are built
1: So your videos about waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning have millions of views, uh, super popular. And if you haven't watched them, please do, because they're like full of really, really great tips. Now, I was surprised to discover that you're not naturally a morning person.
0: You became one. Yeah, I think I think I have become one at this point. But no, I think that's that's such a big misconception that people have about waking up early is that. And I had this anytime I heard somebody like 10, 20 years older than me tell me they just naturally wake up at six o'clock in the morning and they they just walk around the house, get their coffee, and I was like, that's what? What? That's so wild to me, but what i realized is i think part of it is later in life you just do you just do wake up earlier for me it became intentional because it was about getting more time that i didn't have back when i was side hustling i needed to wake up early and work a little bit later but still get to bed at a good time so that i could wake up early again when you start looking at how important your time is differently and it's not that my time's more important than anyone else's it's that I needed the hours to come from somewhere. And you're only going to get them in so many places. I don't even know that I would call myself a morning person. I feel like I'm a morning optimizer. And that means respect of the whole process. When I roll out of bed, I wish I were not rolling out of bed. I wish I were in bed, period. I'm not going to hide from that. I know what I'm doing. I know my why. I know why I get up every day and that's going to compel me forward more than just laying back down. So I get up. But I also respect the fact that I am not a normal human being yet. I need a half an hour to just kind of let my brain start operating and let thoughts go and and all these things that happen. So I talk about morning routine stuff in the book and things that I do, but It's something that I learned. You become more resilient at waking up early as you practice it. And that's pretty much all it is for me is I see still, no matter what season of life I'm in, I'm not in a season of 5.30 a.m. right now. I'm in a season of 6.30 a.m. right now. And that's just how it is because I got way more time back with the COVID quarantine stuff. So I was like, oh, well, I can now I can start moving some things around because I'm not commuting anywhere. I'm not taking any real meetings. So seasons change. But just respecting the fact that if you need more time, you've got it. You just got to find it yourself because nobody's going to hand it to you. That's more of the type of person that I am rather than a chipper morning person, if that makes sense.
1: Morning optimizer. Okay, that's good. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do a quick fire about your past, your present, and your future. The first question is if you could define your childhood in one word,
0: what would it be? Privileged. Wow, that's big. You want more than one word? <laughs> Please develop. I think I think this is a I think it's very very I feel a lot of purpose right now to point out real life. And I was very privileged. I also I was privileged for a multitude of reasons. Some of them are evident. And some of them aren't. And I, the thing I am most grateful for is I'm very grateful uh, that I was privileged with people of color in school because I think it taught me a lot that is coming in handy now in my adulthood. But that being said, it's not enough. It's not good enough. I'm not going to say I have XYZ number of friends of color or black friends or any whatever. It's just that I'm very right now reflecting a lot on how grateful I am that they were in my life because I am realizing how there are so many people that look like me that do not have the same beliefs that I do about how important people's lives are and that black lives matter a great deal. So right now I would say the answer to that question is, I was privileged as a child. Thank you for your bravery to share and to be reflecting on how to
1: do something about that, right? That's, that's what we need right now. Um, second question, uh, what is the one thing that you're curious about right now that no one knows about?
0: Right now, I'm curious about interior design. We bought a house and I'm trying to make it a home, so... I I have not expressed a lot of online information about that. (laughs) Cool. That's fun. (laughs) Third one. You
1: are in the future and you developed a superpower to change one thing in the world. What is the one thing you're going to change?
0: Systemic racism. It's the only thing I can think about right now. That's it. It's just not okay. It's still not okay. It's never been okay. We must need a superpower because what are we doing?
1: Thank you. Okay, now, last bit of the conversation. We're going to do a game. It's a game about a fictional character, and she's called Olivia. And Olivia uh, needs your advice on something that she has been struggling with. And what I'm going to do is our guest... Of the episode is gonna be helping Olivia to embrace the changes that she needs to make. And as the series progresses, we'll know uh, where Olivia will end up her life, right? So Olivia works, well, worked in a financial institution. She's 25 years old. Uh, she decided to do a degree in finance because part partially it was kind of influenced by her parents and partially because she thought that investing something in her career that would bring her money early on would be the right thing to do. And then she went to work and, you know, she went into this large organization thinking that she could make a lot of changes there. So she saw a lot of things wrong, a lot of things to be changed, but she realized that she couldn't change anything. She was just part of that machine. And then I asked the previous guest of this podcast how can she provoke the change she wanted to see in the organization, right? How could she figure out to solve that struggle that she was having? And then my previous guest told me that Olivia should follow the following advice. You have to understand that the only thing that you can control is yourself. So change yourself first. And then three ways that she could do that. One is rewrite the narratives about your story. Because clearly, Olivia was following a narrative that success is about money, and maybe that was not her story. The second thing was understand your inner passion and your desires, and so you can craft your own story. And the third one is choose a game that you can win. So, for instance, if you're a very short person, don't go and try to be the best person in basketball because you might not win that game. (laughs) So maybe being finance is not a game she could win. Now, based on this advice, that's how the story unfolded. Olivia discovered that she's got a great intuition when it comes to marketing. And she's fantastic at understanding why people buy what they buy and how to craft the very persuasive message on social media. And she's super connected with all the latest trends. So that's her passion. And that's, game she can definitely win. And so she takes a ton of online courses, talks to a lot of friends, sharpen her knowledge, and eventually quits her job in finance to work in a marketing agency. After a few months, she's unhappy again. She looks around and everyone is so much better than her. And she feels like an intern after being four years into her career. And she struggles to make herself heard and to contribute to the company the way that she imagined. Now, Olivia meets you, Amy. What is the one piece of advice that you give to Olivia right now so she can get unstuck?
0: Stop telling yourself stories. You still continue to tell yourself a story. And the biggest piece of it, an important piece of it, is that you've already decided the story that everyone around you is better than you. And the worst is the fact that you told yourself a story that once you made this change, all would be made sense. Everything would work. We keep telling stories and we don't actually observe what is happening. We're also, therefore, not controlling the controllable of gratefulness of a moment. I was in the wrong career, but I learned a lot from it and I made a, steady paycheck and the people around me were mostly positive and everything was good. If we keep telling ourselves a story, we're not actually looking at what's happening around us that can help us. And the struggle to speak up and get better is always on us. It is never on anyone else. If we're in a toxic environment, we have to get out, but we can't keep looking around and blaming the rest of the world for where we are. If you're learning more about what's right for you. You may not have reached your destination, but the goal is to never actually reach the destination. You're always on a journey here. So yeah, being at that agency, learning from some of the best is a moment to reflect on so that you can control a controllable and continue to do better. But the answer to your prayers and feeling like you fit in was never going to come with getting that job or making that change. It was only going to be a part of the journey. So I I really think that we do this with each other too much, specifically to ourselves. We always have a story. We always have meaning to something. Who cares what the meaning is? It just is what it is. So taking a step back from that will give you a lot of perspective about what the state of things are right now and what the state of things could be as you go forward. Love that.
1: Love that. That's a great wrap up to this conversation, Amy. I think it's, oh my God, I love it. (laughs) Very, very beautiful. Thank you for spending your time with me and Amy today. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to rate us and subscribe. If you know someone who will also enjoy the show, do share it with them. It will mean the world to me. For more information and everything about curiosity and embracing changes, go to hypercurious.fm. For now, ciao ciao.